Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to the next edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And in this episode, we're going to be covering the Avengers Series 1, Episode 2, Brought to Book. Brought to Book was written by Brian Clemens. It was the second in the first series, and unfortunately it doesn't exist. It was recorded on the 12th of January 1961 and first broadcast on the 14th of January 1961 in the ABC Midlands and North regions. It was repeated in the ATV South and Time Teens regions on the 1st of April 1961. But it was the last episode to feature a regional repeat until episode 12 of the run, which was Dance with Death. It was recorded on 405 line black and white videotape, Ampex tape, as with uh, Hot Snow. The episode is lost, but the rehearsal and camera scripts exist from a private collection. There are no telesnaps, unfortunately, and only half a dozen publicity stills. So there's no visual reconstruction with this one, unfortunately, although Big Finish have released their audio version, and that's on volume one of their Avengers Lost Stories range. There's quite a few production notes survive from that season. The initial budget for each episode of The Avengers was £3,550, and it was made under the Iris Productions Limited banner, which was the production arm of ABC. That was set up in the 1950s, but it never actually appeared on any of the production networks. With regards to the videotaping of episodes, this is something, again, we, we sort of dispelled the myth in our last episode, but there was a memo from Michael Chapman to Sidney Newman, Brian Tesler, and Leonard White on the 30th of March, 1962, and this proposed a repeat run of the nine episodes that were never broadcast in the regions. There's a suggested broadcast order, very different from the original transmission order, and there are explicit videotape numbers and reference catalogues on the memo. So it's a fairly robust indicator that all of the live episodes were telerecorded. Simon, do you want to give us a, a brief précis of the episode? Absolutely. And um, I'm taking this from Dave Rogers' book, The Ultimate Adventure Avengers, which for anybody interested in the Avengers is a marvellous refer- reference book. A little bit old now, but easily findable on eBay and things like that. So in this episode brought to book, Dr. Keel and Steed seek again to bring Vance into custody. With the help of the police, Keel infiltrates Vance's gang while Steed manipulates the leader of a rival gang. Both gangs realise too late that they have been received and Keel extracts a confession, which overheard by the police leads to the villain's arrest. Having accomplished his mission of avenging Peggy's death, Steed enlists Keel's help in his fight against crime. Dr. Keel, we could use you, you know. You could? And you could use us. Crime is a disease. Work with us and you can probe it and examine it. Perhaps come to understand it. There's not so much good in this world that we can't use a little more. I have a pretty flourishing practice. It won't suffer, I promise you. We'll only call on you when you're needed. Really needed. Well, Doctor? You know where to find me. Hot Snow and Brought to Book are effectively a two-part pilot. Yeah, linked by the character of Spicer, because the the villain in Brought to Book, Ronnie Vance, 
played by Lesterson himself, doesn't actually appear as anything other than a voice on the end of the phone in Hot Snow. Do you know, we've said this, but having had a look at the notes, well, there's a bit of doubt that it is actually uh, Robert James in episode one. Because if you look at the hands that are stroking, is it a dog or a cat? Dog. They're definitely not Robert James's hands. They're a little bit um, filled. But he is the one that's credited in the episode. Mm, he might be the voice, but that's, that's definitely not his hands because I've been back to have a look. But yes, we're gone. Um, yeah, so it, it's the big finish reconstruction that we've listened to. And I was really impressed by these when they first, I, I bought them way back when they, they first came out. And God, seven, eight years ago now, maybe? 2013, 2012, 2013, they got the rights from Studio Canal. The voices were never going to be right. Ian Hendry and Patrick McNee have such distinctive voices that I think Big Finish did exactly the right thing by not trying to get people to imitate them. The um, fellow that does Steed, though, he's sort of Steed-esque. I have warmed to the the voices. Listen to this second episode. He's very RP. I wouldn't say that he's. I wouldn't say it sounds like Steed. No, but he's got the man, the, the vocal sort of cadences. He's heading towards Patrick McNee's steed. Yeah, but he's, he's not trying to do an impression. He's not trying to be Patrick McNee's oh, no, steed. Not, he's trying no. to be his own steed. Because I don't think an impersonation would work in the same way as some of the impersonations of Doctors and Doctor Who characters that Big Finish do in their Doctor Who range work to a variable degree of success. So I'm I'm quite glad that they allowed the actors to fill out their voices in their own way, to basically to make the parts their own. I'm also glad that they tried to make it as faithful a retelling as possible without trying to be clever and adding little postmodern bits in because that hasn't worked in other series that they've tried to do it with. No, I mean, one of the things that stood out for me with this particular Big Finish episode was that it, it is clearly an original script because there's a lot of stuff in there that they just wouldn't write now, particularly Steed's rather clumsy efforts with, is it Lila and Carol? And, and, and actually they wouldn't the, do that now. the character of Lila herself, I don't think you'd get that, that level of blatant racial stereotyping. But racial stereotyping, I didn't get that. The sexism the came across, but not the, the, chi- the Chinese accent. Oh, it didn't come across amazingly to me. It came across quite strongly to me. Um, but as has been noted in the past, I'm a little more woke. You're a little more gammon. Moving on. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. And I am really appreciative of the fact that Big Finish have tried to emulate the style of the time. They've not changed the format. It is almost verbatim the script with the odd tweak here and there where it is necessary to translate it to an audio form. But I think they're really good. We've, we're two in. I've not heard any of the others. But if they're this good... I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. I know there are ones where scripts don't exist. I will reserve judgment until they get to the ones where they've actually written a story around a couple of lines of plot synopsis. Uh, But so far, I'm really impressed with the range. I just think it, it conjures up the feeling. The only thing I would say is, whether it was the download version that I had or a deliberate attempt to sort of 60s it, there was a very distracting hiss on the the download copy I've got. Whether you noticed that or not, I don't know, but I don't remember that on Hot Snow. I I listened to it in the car on the way into work, so... um, So I'm trying to savour these because the... I don't know, I'm really, really enjoying diving deep into the Avengers backstory 
There are, I've got to give another shout out to Alan Hayes, who, along with other people, has done extensive research on this. If you look up the Avengers Declassified, there are, web, there are a few websites out there, and they really drill down on this. There's also a superb book that they've written called Two Against the Underworld by Alan and Alice Hayes and Richard McGinley. In the past seven days, I've messaged Alan Hayes on Facebook and just had a quick dialogue with him just to to acknowledge that we're not just cribbing all his work. And he's let me know that it's absolutely fine. We're we're okay. Just give him a, a nod in the credits. But it took him nine years just to research the first series. And he's he's sort of burned out with it at the minute. I can quite understand that. Nine years. Bloody hell. That's longer than it took me to do my PhD. Um <laughs> It's a labour of love when you get into archive TV. Well, very true. And I have to say, I really appreciate what Big Finish have done with this episode, with the the whole of season one. The first direct comparison we'll do between what exists and what they've produced, we will come to in on Girl in, on a Trapeze, which is ep- episode six. Episode six, not terribly far away. Mm. But digging into the backstory of how the Avengers were put together, again, there are copious notes available if you pull them all together on the internet. Uh, Brian Clemens, the writer, he was the most prolific writer on the Avengers. Uh, Over a quarter of all the episodes produced were written by him. He went on to write things like Adam Adamant, uh, Danger Man, The Persuaders, The Protectors, Bergerac. He created The New Avengers, The Professionals, Father Dowling, Bugs, Perry. He, he had a load of credits to his name. Uh, and he was awarded uh, an OBE in 2010 for his services to television. Uh, the director was Peter Hammond. Now, he directed 19 episodes of The Avengers, starting with this one. And he was known, his directorial style, he was known for objects in the foreground and slightly odd angles, so filming people through mirrors or through glasses or things. And Patrick McNee actually credited him with a lot of the characterization of Steed over the, the course of the series. He died in 2011, aged 87, Ingrid Hafner, she did a lot of stage work before moving into TV. Yeah, she was motor neurone disease or something something nasty and neurological. Didn't she die sort of late 70s, something like that? Um, it wasn't quite that. She died in 1994, but yeah, it was motor neurone. And post-Avengers, she did things like uh, The Mind of J.G. Reader, The Lotus Eaters, Robin of Sherwood. She was in The Lotus Eaters? Who did yes. she play in The Lotus Eaters? Don't know. Not looked it up. It's just on right. her credits. But she did something else that you were quite fond of. Well, she was Mrs. Whitebait in the in the corridor people. Yes, I'd forgotten that bit. I'd edited it out. Well, but the corridors people. It, it, we could cover that as a special on Kinky Boots. It's nothing of the kind. You're not having an in with the corridor people. And, You've had your and Siri Van Epp did have some Kinky Boots. So. You've had your chance with Corridor People. For all those that are interested, episode 60 of the Exodus Experiment. We shall move on. Uh, but the saddest story, really, is Carol White. Now, she played Jackie in Brought to Book, the, the TV version. Uh, she had an affair with Ian Hendry before Brought to Book was even filmed. And uh, she admitted in her autobiography, oh, 20 years later, that she'd carried a torch for Hendry for years and uh, she struggled with alcohol, and she died in 1991, and she was only 48. So that it, it really doesn't sound like that happy a story for her. Prior to that, I didn't know that Ian Hendry had a problem with booze. Oh, yeah, that, and, and that's what he died of. And he and his wife, who was... Joe somebody he, or other, I think. Certainly his first wife. 
she played one of the Pilgrim sisters in the in the Trollenberg Terror, which was the first ITV science fiction program. Janet Munro. Oh, she was only 38 when she died. Good grief. Day the Earth Caught Fire. Um, oh, yes, that's it. She was the, I'm sure she was the co-star in that. She was only 38 when she died. Yeah. It's like all the archive TV stuff that we've done. Once you start scratching the surface, there's a lot of layers to peel away. Yeah, Ian Hendry was only 53 when he died. Oh, he was he was a regular and semi-regular in Jemima Shaw Investigates, but his last role was in Brookside. But yeah, as things go, I mean, the Brought to Book wraps up with Steed and Dr. Keel in the office. Um, and Steed is still... Now, whether it... I suspect this is the way it was, was scripted, but Steed is still quite friend or foe, even though at the end of the episode they say, you know, we'll call you when you're needed but only when you need it, so you don't need to worry about your life being interrupted. It's still said in that sort of semi-friend-or-foe way, and I understand there were changes to the script while they were filming it, where some of Steve's lines were swapped round with Keel to make him a little bit more proactive and you can sort of see that happening halfway through when steed's arranging keel to to go and get in with the gang and and basically set up spicer and keel's coming up with all these ideas on his own of what he's going to say on the phone all those lines were originally steed's but i think it works a lot better with keel saying them and then sort of it's he's almost relishing the prospect of being a secret agent <laughs> Yeah, and the character of Steed was originally supposed to be a very much a secondary character, really quite mysterious and initially a bit sort of seedy and backgroundy, and you're never quite sure who it is that he works for. And now that that changes as the series goes on, and by the by the time you're getting to the the second season, he's he's very much establishment. But in the in the first season, and particularly in the the earliest episodes, you never you you don't really quite know who who he is, what he's doing, what his motivation is. I guess at this point, when you were watching it to, to start with, then one episode has led into another. And it's really quite grim. Well, and from it, the repeat transmission order, it's clear that from this point on, they're all really standalone episodes. And I believe that the Mr. Big character doesn't actually appear again. But coming to him as a complete newbie, having never seen or known anything about Series 1... I'm hooked, because now, obviously, I know how the series ended up. I want to see how it gets there, and I want yep. to see how this character of Steed develops. I want to see how... Do it's really hooked me, and it's not a difficult leap to, to wonder why this series not only took off in the way it did, but also went on to become such a big thing, even though it's completely different in the end. It's quite interesting to speculate just how the Avengers would have carried on had Ian Hendry carried on into the second season. Because he was supposed to, and there was a strike that delayed production. And in the meantime, he'd, he'd got a film job, so he disappeared off. And there is there are three of the episodes of the second season that where the plot relies on the fact that the second character is a Doctor, and they bring in another Doctor character just for that. And I understand in interviews down the years, he actually regretted leaving the Avengers as early as he did. But had he still been in it, it would have been a very different show. Yes, I can't imagine it going down the um, Tara King Emma Peel route if uh, if he'd stayed in it. 
It would have been interesting post-1967 to see if they'd been brave enough to do two male characters doing the Steed, Emma Peel, will they, won't they, are they, aren't they? That's a little bit speculative. I don't think it would it, it would ever have happened. Um, I, I think it would have drawn too much attention away from the the rest of what made the Avengers unique. It would have pretty much guaranteed that it didn't get an American showing. Uh, yes, very definitely. So before we wrap up, we need to give this score out of five. And we need a name for the scores. We do. And, uh, well, we've been chatting this week. You've come up with a good one. Masterminds. I'm going to go terribly future steed, don my bowler hat, swing my umbrella, and give it four out of five masterminds. I really enjoyed that, but not blown away enjoyed it. But it's piqued my interest. I am there. I'm really on board with this. Really want to find out what happens next. So four out of five. Yourself? Um, By the same logic, I'm going to give it three. Because I, I really enjoyed it. It was not the greatest story. Very well done by Big Finish. It's three because I know just how much very good stuff there is to come, not only in the rest of the, the rest of the series, but in the rest of season one. And if I start throwing fours in now, then there pretty much isn't an episode that won't be a four or five. Are you going to peak too soon? I think you may be peaking too soon. The only negative thing I will say about the whole thing, there were a couple of bits of... I won't say obvious padding, but they were very static conversations. And the one that leaps out is the conversation between Dr. Treading and Carol in the office, which is basically a narrative recap of episode one, where he's explaining to Carol why Dr. Keel's behaving the way he is. That stood out like a sore thumb as padding. (laughs) That's my only negative point. I didn't think it did because it was building on that that it comes to the point later on in the episode where she's saying to him is this going to be dangerous are you going to be all right i think it was more the way that it was it was done rather than the explanation to carol because otherwise it would be it was heavy-handed certainly but we're talking about what 1961 yes television moved on exactly the final thing that i was going to say oh yeah on your summary of alumni you have made a glaring omission. Have I? You have. Clifford Elkin, who played Pretty Boy, was also the Earth Cruiser captain in Episode 5 of Frontier in Space. How could I have overlooked such a pivotal character? I'm, I'm shocked. Frankly, I'm shocked. Well, I shall go away and admonish myself. Poor very large, Jim. Is that what you call it? Yes. And <laughs> prep for next week's episode, which is Square Root of Evil. Thank you for listening, boys and girls. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Bye now. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. With thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee. And the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.